Welcome to Six Four, a podcast that tells stories of successes, failures, and learnings for Kiwi tech organizations. I'm your host, Bradley Scott, and each episode I invite co-hosts and guests to tell a story of an important part of a Kiwi tech organization's journey. In 2014, Xero was experiencing exponential customer growth, but they were about to hit a wall. Unless they did something drastic and soon, they would be unable to continue to scale their platform to handle new customers. In the next few episodes, we tell the story of probably the largest cloud migration undertaken by a SaaS company in New Zealand. I'm Paul Rushworth. Uh, how did I fit into this story? So I had a role that I can't remember the title of it at, at Zero at the time. And, and essentially, I looked after platform and, and architecture and, and thinking about what the future platform would be and how we'd make it all work. Uh, and uh, was along for a long way in that journey of getting to Amazon and what that actually meant for Zero. So I'm Hannah Gray, and I was in the unenviable position of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and having a developer background and also being a engineering manager at the time. So um, I was sort of roped into help kickstart the sort of engineering or software, the software side of the changes that needed to happen as part of this migration. So I probably came in about halfway through the overall course of work largely saw it towards the end and I think I then also got the benefit of seeing the after impact as well. My name is Martin Wadash. I was lucky enough to, to get on the Zero rocket ship in, in 2009 and over over the eight years my job was to look after the, the data side of, of the platform. I think at the time of the AWS migration my job was uh, in data architecture so we were looking at how we govern and manage the data going forward on our, on our um, Zero platform. It's probably worth talking about two or three years before we started down the AWS journey and and what Zero as an architecture and as a platform looked at that point in time. We were um, running with a company called Rackspace. Um, people probably know it and how it's had to evolve and change post public cloud as well. But uh, uh, we were the fourth largest customer on Rackspace globally, uh, and we were starting to hit some real pain points. We were kind of on a really monolithic hardware solution, very large SAN. Um, VMware running most of our um, applications uh, and um, we were scaling out beyond what Rackspace could really truly handle with their own sort of teams, processes and maturity level uh, that they'd unfortunately and, and Zero had unfortunately suffered a number of significant outages where um, communication problems between humans and um, some decisions that were made outside the, the line of sight of Zero led to some quite bad outages and that was sort of the starting point, is we realized that that we couldn't really continue to scale with the incumbent on the current solution that we had. And there was talk about what we needed beyond this point. And I guess that evolved into to four solutions that were considered um, and might be relevant to talk about those right now, I guess. Uh, there was an, a, a new solution to be proposed by, by Rackspace. There was Amazon, there was Azure, and then there was AT&T as well. In the zero history, we've had we at that up until that point, I guess we had four versions of the platform. Um, the mm. first, the first version was was more around the application and the code, um, and the second version was a rewrite of the accounting ledger, the V1 and V2. And I think in V1 and V2 they were sort of running on on uh, servers under people's desktops, 
um, I think initially we were we were. There was a small business server, I believe, <laughs> yeah. at one point that was running the very first version of Zero used by our very first customers. Yeah, and I think that was yeah that was literally running in the I think potentially in the office um, at the start. Was, and, was it? And, and yeah. then and then we moved to I think it was Rivera, um, and then to Rackspace. And we were Did you I think, hosted the first production, real production system of, of Zero, uh, mm-hmm. and then it moved to Rivera, and then very quickly to Rackspace as well. Yeah, so, yeah, so we got for my time slightly. Yeah, Rackspace. I think we got onto Rackspace in two thousand and seven. Mm. I think, um, and V one was sort of the first first implementation of the the accounting platform, and then V two was a major rewrite of the accounting platform, and that 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 kind of was our our main. Our main uh, platform until two thousand and nine when I started, and then we um, moved into um, sharding, sharding the databases, which was v free uh, on Rackspace, um, and that that lasted us from two thousand and I think two thousand and ten um, up until uh, two thousand and twelve, um, where we we pretty much went from I think we, when when I started we were about five thousand customers. And 2012, we were probably up, up, um, getting close to the the six figure, six figure customers. You're getting close to a hundred thousand, and it was becoming pretty clear. I think pretty clear then um, that we needed to move away from these like uh, very well crafted servers that we used to look 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 after in the operations team. I think the operations team at that time were about ten or twenty people, and we used to. Um, provision Windows servers, um, we would order them six weeks ahead of schedule, and then uh, Rackspace would do a whole bunch of uh, Windows updates on them, and then we would go in there and manually configure configure those machines. And in 2012, we kind of realized that well, it wasn't how things were going to scale going forward. And in 2012, we actually, um, working with Rackspace, we moved everything into um, VMware um, with the idea of it all being scripted. And at a storage layer, we actually put in our, our sort of first first uh, sort of proper SAN um, up until that point we were using uh, sort of a storage as a service uh, provided by by Rackspace and then we actually we from a cost perspective and a scale perspective we actually had to move to our own SANs in 2012 in, in 2012 um, and that was uh, when v4 was born I think in 2013 we actually managed to roll it over and we had 200,000 customers at that time so going through that exponential curve um, and uh, 2013 was a very uh, blurry year, and it's probably why we've got everything confused because um, <laughs> everything was very cloudy in 20, 2013. We had a, a centralized operations team, and then we had a, a growing and maturing product team who wanted to build build and experiment on lots of technology, and it wasn't always Windows. Um, a lot of Linux coming in. Um, data was getting hungry. We, we set up a BI team or half a BI team in 2010, um, but by 2013, everybody wanted more data in different formats to have all over the place. Um, and essentially, I think uh, storage was becoming a, a daily discussion because uh, we had this big, big SAN and we had to um, went through about five SANs, I think, that year. Um, and we had to, to worry about all of the logistics in terms of... We talked every day about storage, Martin. Yeah, so 20, 2013 yeah. was every day. I think we had a day, Thursdays, where we decided we wouldn't talk about storage. That's about right. Uh, I remember we actually made a sign one day. Yeah, no, no storage day. We, we could not talk about storage that day of the week or we would both go insane. I think there's two other really interesting things that kind of happened in that, that period of time as well that probably worth dwelling on. 
um, there was a, a, a sizable amount of money spent on a NoSQL solution um, to to sort of platformize and, and make that available for development teams. And also there was a, a, a enterprise service bus built and neither solution was really taken up with any great demand or fury. It was kind of the case of where um, a, you know, an architecture team would say, hey, we should do this thing, this thing's good. Um, but they had done it in a really project central way and hadn't really understood the needs of, of the product teams and whether that would meet them or not. And I think it was pretty clear that the cost of technology itself, i.e. acquiring new technology was going to be a major factor for us going forward and presumably eating, you know, sort of cloud scaling business as well. And I think that, that really ties in down to those four choices on the table is that two of them got you an operating system running on some tin somewhere. And that actually isn't the problem that the product teams were looking to solve at Zero, which was how do we scale with different types of technology? Because all honesty, Zero, you know, I probably Hannah can quote the percentages better than I can about lines of code and source control and, and what that was, .NET or not. But everything was basically .NET. Everything was basically SQL. And SQL could do everything. Well, SQL was made to do everything. Whether that was a good thing uh, is obviously another subject we could probably talk for hours on. But that was our that was the current state of zero at that time. Our, our two two tools. I, I think I absolutely agree with everything you've said. There's another sort of flipping sides away from the operational side. There was another series of factors that were definitely uh, weighing certainly on your shoulders, Paul, at the time. Um, which was zero. The company was going through massive engineering growth. The teams we 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 I can't remember how many times we doubled the numbers in terms of hiring. You know, bums on seats. Uh, but it was it was totally unscalable. And and there were some really interesting side effects from that. Um, one, we had gone out uh, over the last couple of years. We'd gone out to different locations, and different locations came with different career uh, hiring markets with different strengths. Right, things that were not readily available in Wellington, which is more renowned for its government, you know, hiring people who worked in government. Um, and so, what we were seeing was not only did we have more people, which therefore resulted in more changes, more products we wanted to ship, more features we wanted to get out the door. So, Martin, you would have heard Tokes in a prior episode. Uh, his version of events around this story started when you walked into a room and whether or not there was literal or figurative fists bumping on the table, uh, threatening that the platform would not be able to add any more customers past December unless something was done about the platform. Now, I'm interested in to what degree of truth there is about that story and everyone's understanding about We've talked about multiple drivers here. We've talked about wanting to support scaling dev team. We talked about the rack space problems and there were some push factors. What actually caused Zero to organize around running this pretty big initiative? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess um, there is a there is a probably a sky is falling aspect to it. And in 20, 20, 2012, um, we were growing exponentially in terms of customers. And um, I think that at the time, this is before we went um, even to V4, which was was moving to a virtual platform and moving to a proper SAN. Um, the, the the growth of Zero was 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 exponential. So we're adding more customers than the existing customers were growing. It was very hard to kind of predict where where um, how much storage we needed next month or, or the month after. Um, so uh, we did come up with a very crude 
uh, spreadsheet of doom, um, myself and Duncan, uh, in terms of storage. Uh, we had uh, sort of a few columns in there in terms of the number of IOPS and the amount of space that's required. And we came up with a model which basically determined how many customers we add and how much they would grow on average um, per, per, per month and uh, could kind of forecast when we would need our next SAN. Um, however, the numbers that were coming out of that spreadsheet were, were kind of vertical. And uh, the biggest SAN that we were currently looking at at the time uh, would, would have been consumed in 2015. And we wouldn't actually be able to put any more hard drives into that SAN. Um, the, the way that Rackspace was laid out, we would lease machines and we would have to lease machines that were near the SAN um, so that we could get fiber to them. Um, so there was uh, this sort of uh, almost uh, end of times that was going to happen where we couldn't allocate any more disk um, and we would have to grow into another data center, either, the, either a managed, managed data center ourselves or a new data center from Rackspace or somewhere um, at, at a point in time. And I think we, we determined that it, on, on the, the, the current predictions and the way that we were designing V4, we that the spreadsheet was determining would run out of space in, in July 2015 and we wouldn't actually be able to add any more customers. Um, so there is there is a there, there is um, an aspect of uh, and it always was at zero that we would be we need to grow 10 times need to plan 10 times ahead of where we're at today um, but 10 times of uh, the growth that we're having and I think in I think we had a million customers was that in in, in 2016, we were, we were growing quite substantially and some quickly, and, and we were not only um, growing uh, the, the, the main transactional database, but we were growing um, a data warehouse next to it. Um, the developers wanted to test some of their changes on customer data before they did it in production to see how it worked. What a, what a concept. Yeah, to see how it worked. Um, and uh, there was definitely a nature of we, we had a limited amount of time but the spreadsheet looked ridiculous, and so we didn't we didn't really believe in actually we hired some proper people to do analysis after that. There was a number of people who joined us who could actually do modeling, uh, not just sort of the, 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 the this crazy spreadsheet that we cooked up. But actually, it turned out the spreadsheet was reasonably accurate. I, I remember getting a, a, a message from Duncan saying in uh, the middle of 2014, it's like, oh, we actually need to... <laughs> We need to actually move. We, 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 the spreadsheet's accurate. We're going to have, have to um, move move to something else um, in 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 twenty in twenty fifteen, and so that's when in, in twenty fourteen I think and in, in we were we were um, looking at, at at different partners in terms of where we can go to. Um, going back to sort of the Tokes um, session, we used to have this crazy resource planning meeting where um, the ops team and the product management team which is mostly tokes, um, would get together and say, what are we planning on doing in the next six months so that we can at least make sure that we've got enough capacity and we've got the, the, the servers set up. And there was a real focus on, on, on building new product features. I think uh, Rod used to call it the wall of innovation. And so there was a sort of, uh, push, yeah, sort of pushback. And I think up until that point, to be fair to the product team, uh, the ops team had always somehow managed to cater for, for, for organic growth. Um, but we kind of re we kind of reached this point where um, we couldn't actually uh, scale what we had in terms of the application without changing the application and and taking product engineering away to actually move 
move to move to 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 AWS, um, which we'd already kind of um, selected in, in 2014, I, I, I believe. Uh, Microsoft were a little bit unhappy about it, in, in fairness to them. Azure is a is a good platform. You know, one of the largest SaaS applications out there running every day on on uh, uh, Azure. And, and you know, as an Office 365 customer at my current role, um, I know how often it is down. It's still a, a reasonable platform, but you know. Uh, so they were very upset that the .NET SQL Server shop were were not going Azure, and you know there's there's some good reasons and, and others. So they flew a number of us out for a week long. Let's talk to the customer and figure out what's going wrong and how we can change their mind. It was a fascinating week, and it, it, to me, it, it it tells the cultural difference of uh, Microsoft as an organization and Amazon as a cloud organization, and, and that when you visit the Microsoft campus as we saw it then. It was like it was like visiting a university campus, and there were these super smart people who sat in these rooms that felt like where your professors were when you presumably went to university. They weren't connected people working in a product organization. There were so many smart people with so many good ideas, but they didn't know how to connect with the customer and talk to them. Whereas you went to Amazon and had that, you'd never have that kind of that experience of smart people who didn't know how to work together for the customer. And it really reinforced the idea that what we were joining Amazon for at that point was not the products they had at that point in time. I mean, everyone knows how hard it is to keep up with Amazon product releases. And I'm sure Zero at the moment isn't using the, the ground station service for satellites that Amazon now offers. But it was that innovation we were buying into at that point in time. That was the key driver that was taking us to Amazon. Sure as hell wasn't to run EC2. And, and even though that... I have no idea if it still continues or not because it's been four or five years since I left. Um, you know, we did build our own SQL platform running on EC2. The point of getting to Amazon was not to run on EC2. It was really about thinking about their future investments going to dwarf everybody. And, and if the numbers are to be believed that their footprint is, you know, 150% larger, 200% larger than Azure, I presume that's about right. You know, the reason is their product investment and, and all those platform offerings uh, are what drove us to the to Amazon. It's interesting that you say that, Paul, because that came across really clearly in the product teams at the time, and it even had interesting effects on like the org structure and how the product teams were sized. You know that that admiration that obviously you and the people had when you met with AWS. We started hearing about AWS teams and how innovative the teams were, and two pizza teams, and all these sorts of catchphrasey type things. Um, that came from your meetings and they filtered through to the engineering teams and to the point that, I mean, two pizza teams, I know that that's, that's a trope that's well known on the internet anyway about AWS, but we started talking about how we wanted to be more like AWS, how our engineering teams should be more like AWS. And that was a direct result of, you know, the very meetings that you're talking about when you met them. Yeah. And at this point, I want to thank our sponsor, AWS. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, well, you, you think that and then you get your first bill. No, I mean, you know, Amazon no, no, no. is a brilliant product set. It's um, it's a very interesting commercial option to figure out and deal with. Paul, you think that and you get your first bill and you try and work against your first API. It's mm. the two of them together that uh, that make you yeah, then sort of wonder if you've made the right choice. But at that point, you've already struggled and hurdled over IAM. So, you know, you've basically won the <laughs> yes, game almost exactly. by that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I have a vague recollection that there's also sort of the reality of contracts involved, right? You know, the 
the benefit of signing with a, a hosting a hosting company is you you sign a long term contract, and you know obviously when those things come up for renewal, you have to think about whether you're going to stay there for another five years or, you know, whether that's still fit for purpose. And and my understanding was that was that was sort of a background factor as well in terms of timing. Yeah, so so all this hardware that we had sitting around running production workloads, we have a fixed year, fixed lease for, or a, a term. We needed to actually we couldn't we couldn't afford to run two production platforms uh, for a long time. Um, so there was definitely a um, I think in, I think because we did it's kind of like about a two year sort of period I think it was for some of the contracts, Paul, if that's right. Like V four was sort of like twenty fifteen. I mean, I, I think that was somewhat a factor, but I don't really, honestly, hand on heart, think it was that big of a factor. I think, I, I think there was many factors. Undoubtedly, you know, scaling the the VMAX we had at that point in time, I think we'd already maxed out the engines. Adding more storage there wasn't really an option. But you know, it isn't, you know, as a preservation option, it wasn't really the right thing. I mean, I, I'm going to go one step further and say, um, a lot of the problems that the platform team had was about. God forbid, org structure, Conway's law, and how it organized itself wasn't organized to deal with multiple types of technology. It was organized to deal with ICT problems like dev test and prod and teams are structured in that way rather than around capability. And, and you know, there was lots of things that, that you know, we could solve with time, effort, money, and all the above, I guess. But, you know, Amazon was seen to be a lot of those. But I, I think we started the Amazon zero needs to go to amazon we started that project not knowing what that meant whatsoever well i mean we, i think we kind of knew it would envision lots of change i remember sitting down with uh, project manager and um, whoever um, the gm was at the time for platform and 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 duncan and others and sort of saying this is going to change everything yeah yeah this is going to change everything right so i can focus on the we could build some technology stuff but i don't know that's kind of our problem as such i mean i think it's part of the problem but you know, how is our operating model going to change? And how are all these going to change? And, and they brought some people in to look at that stuff, but I don't know if we ever answered any of those questions early on. No, and, and that was that was evident in how, you know, we'll get there and how that sort of eventuated because, again, from the product side, you were, you were busy, you know, planning this. And to be honest, we were oblivious. Yeah, there's this thing happening, and it was very much... I don't think these words were said, but it, it was assumed it was a lift and shift, right? It was that was that's the sort of attitude that was being portrayed to the product, the engineers. You're not going to have to change anything about how your systems work. And that, of course, is not how it panned out. But that is the story for the next episode: how the selection of a new hosting vendor actually turned into a significant organisational, cultural, and structural change to take the organisation towards DevOps practices. And as you can predict, that was not a smooth journey. This has been 6.4, a podcast that tells stories of successes, failures, and learnings for Kiwi tech organizations. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know, and share it with someone else who you think would enjoy it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please get in contact to suggest them. Until next episode, goodbye.